the J Talk podcast. Yosh, 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 yosh. Hello and welcome to the J Talk podcast. Sam Robson and Johnny Nickel with you to round up all the action from J1 Match Day 21. Ben is on his way to Australia and hopefully has a lovely few weeks down under. So stepping into the breach is Johnny Nickel at the start of his J Talk summer takeover. Johnny, how are you? Very, very hot, but I'm very good. We're, we're recording while it's still light here in, in Japan, which is, is very, very unusual for me, very interesting, but lots of things to discuss at the, the top and bottom of the league and, and everywhere in between, so I'm looking forward to getting into it. Uh, how are you doing, Sam? Yeah, doing very well. It's, yeah, it is weird, uh, recording time. It's a 7pm <laughs> Japan time, 11am my time. I've only just woken up on my, <laughs> my Monday morning, so... <laughs> Yeah, a little bit different, but yeah, looking forward to getting into this and uh, my last podcast for a while. So yeah, really exciting. And yeah, there were plenty of things to get into. And we will start the episode at the Nissan Stadium and the latest Kanagawa derby. Seems to have been loads recently, but uh, this was one of two games played on Saturday. F Marinos looking to move six points clear at the top of the table. If they could bounce back from a midweek humbling, really, in the Emperor's Cup at the hands of J2 leaders Machida de Zelvia. And they faced a Kawasaki Frontale side looking for revenge from the opening day defeat to Yokohama and trying to kickstart their own season. Marinos made a quick start with Elbert testing the recalled uh, Kami Fukumoto from range inside the first three minutes. Then in the 10th minute, Elbert broke through down the left side and teed up Jan Mateus for what seemed like a simple finish with Kami Fukumoto exposed. But the Brazilian could only side foot into the side netting. This was a huge moment, wasn't it, Johnny? Yeah, I think it was, the other week was um, Marinos played Shona and I remember chuckling because you said it could end up about 13-3. Uh, I was thinking that myself, if, if Marinos had been a bit more clinical, they, they could have scored many more goals in that game. And against a team like Shonan, who are, are struggling, you, you can get away with that. Whereas against Ka- Kawasaki, you know, there's there's a couple of chances here, there's a couple of chances later. They really let Kawasaki off off the hook. And yeah, against, I mean, this is not the 2020-2021 Kawasaki, but against a side with the Naus and kind of experience that they've got, Ultimately, you, you do run the risk of being of being pegged back later on. So I think, yeah, Matthias is the really exciting player, but at times he is lacking a, a touching composure. And I, I think that was quite kind of evident in the, the early part of this game. I, I think a lot of the, the Kawasaki build-up was was a bit too too slow and too ponderous. It didn't really cause enough problems for Marinos. And and on the other side, I mean, Marinos' build-up was a bit wild and, and too fast. You know, it was a bit like, you know, a kid trying to rush their homework so they can play video games or something. If they just a, a bit more time, a bit more composure, then they would be able to, to find the target. But yeah, it, it did set up the, the rest of this game between these these two powerhouses. Yeah, I think you're right there. It was very frantic, everything that Marinos were, were doing. I think it, they kind of got that from the first game against Frontale, where everything they did was very quick. They were right on Frontale and looking to play, the, um, get through the lines pretty quickly. And um, it worked to an extent, but yes, yeah, some of their finishing was pretty poor. And they missed a few uh, decent chances as well. Um, Frontale also had the ball in the net, actually, just after that Mateus chance. Uh, Yamada turning in a Nianaga drive across the area, but Mitsuhiro was offside earlier in the move. But that was really the only thing they properly created in this in the first half. It was generally Marinos um, in control. They applied the pressure. Mateus was provider this time for Elbert, who had a close range effort, but quite tame. Again, another player who a very, very good player, Elbert, but I think he does lack um, some composure in front of goal. I think he does miss a fair few chances. So this was uh, another one of those. It was a good open half, but yeah, would you say Marinos looked the more likely as we got towards half time? Um, it's interesting because I, I mean I mentioned in my my introduction how how hot it's been over 
but especially the south part of Honshu this weekend. So I think this game, I wasn't in Kanto, it was baking hot here in, in Kansai. And I think the game did sort of, it started off at that frantic pace and then it kind of levelled off a bit and you could kind of feel towards halftime. Frontali were the team that most wanted halftime, but I, I think both teams were, were quite happy to get in the sheds and have a bit of a breather. I, I think, yeah, Frontali, they seemed to get caught offside at any time they went forwards. I think they just defaulted if Ian Aga was ahead of the last defender. He couldn't have outrun them, so they just gave it offside. But yeah, the, the goal was, was rightly called off. But yeah, I think if you take the first half of the first half versus the second half of the first half, definitely a lot more pace in that first half. And I think it slightly petered out a bit in, as we went into half time, And that kind of continued a bit in, until we got to maybe the, the last, last 20, 25 minutes of the second half. Yeah, I think you mentioned the heat there, and this was the weekend that they brought back the um, water breaks or whatever that they want to call those. And there's always, as long, yeah, the game might be petering out anyway with the heat, but these always take the momentum out of it. It always seems to take teams a long while to get back into it. And yeah, it was a slow start to the second half. It was, again, I think more frontale control um, at the start of the second half, and they were playing in this more measured approach. It's been quite frustrating pretty much all season that they have a lot of the ball but don't really go anywhere with it but at least they were keeping it away from F Marinos for larger parts of, of that first of that second half sorry and uh, uh, yeah it was fairly decent control that's made for the first 15 20 minutes of it but then that was that there was that moment when Kuramaya just gave the ball away cheaply it's something you can't do against Def Marinos straight to Marcos Junior who played in Anderson Lopez it's a very nice uh, finish from Anderson Lopez chipping off the post but again uh, just offside in that moment and yeah, that maybe cost uh, F Marinos if him not keeping um, onside there as uh, uh, yeah, Frontale went forward. Segawa, who came into midfield in the second half, played some fantastic passes in this half. Uh, one of them through to Diatono. Lovely ball. He rounded Ichimori, who um, yeah brought down Tono. I think, um, yeah, not massive amount of contact here, Johnny, but correct call. Yeah, I, when I saw it first time, I thought, well, why didn't Tona just go around him and put the ball in the back of the net? But then I think when you see it like slowed down and then imagine it happening in real time, he does knock him out of his stride. So I think if Tono was to continue or attempt to continue running, he would be off balance, which would allow the, the Marinos defenders to come in and potentially block it, or, or he'd be off balance and would miss quite quite a, a, an easy chance. But yeah, I think you mentioned Sagawa came on and um, yeah, Tono as well. I think they added real impetus. I, I mean, I really like Tono. I think he's a very good but bustling player. And I, I think he's someone that maybe Frontali could use a bit more from the start. But those two really helped to kind of swing things in, in Frontali's favour. Although, you know, just to say something a bit negative about Frontali, I think they were a bit guilty of over-celebrating the award of the penalty. Um, almost assuming it was going to be a goal, which I think you're going to go on to tell us it might not have been the case. <laughs> no, not quite. It's not the first time Ian Aga's uh, missed a penalty. He did earlier in the season against Kashima, and this time the referee wasn't kind enough to award him a retake. <laughs> uh, yeah, wonderful save from Ichimori. It was the start of like a period of Ichimori just being unbeatable <laughs> in, in this game. A wonderful tip onto the crossbar, and nobody could uh, get onto the rebound. So, yeah, perfect a bit of goalkeeping from Ichimori. Yeah, maybe a bit guilty there. Frontale celebrating before. Uh, the goal was scored, and um, but it, well, it didn't really slow them down, did it? Uh, they still had plenty of chances. Ichimori made a number of fine saves in in this second half to keep uh, Frontali at bay, and um, yeah, just obviously moved from Gamba at the start of this season. 
not everything has been perfect from him, but what have you kind of made of his general impact at F Marinos? It's, it's a really interesting question because it, I think it's the kind of thing that affects a lot a lot of clubs. Like I think we mentioned earlier in the season, like FC Tokyo, like Jakub Slovak is, a, is generally a brilliant shot stopper, but he's not someone you want playing the ball out with his feet. Whereas Ichimori is a bit more on the he he's generally quite good with the ball at his feet, or he's he's comfortable at least in that that system, but he he does have the odd sort of rush of blood to the head, and I, I think realistically is you know as we, we talk about every year and it's it's sure to be covered like this summer like a, anyone in J1 no matter how big they're always liable to have their players picked off by by European sides. See. if you're going to have that perfect sort of Manuel Neuer-esque goalkeeper who's comfortable with the ball at their feet brilliant at making saves and makes a lot of rational decisions, they're not going to be at your club for very long. So you're going to have to put up with some sort of downside. And the fact that I think Ichimori, when he joined Marinos from Gamba, he was only 30, he was 31 years old. And at that point, he'd only made nine J1 appearances in his career, all of which came when the first choice at his club, Higashiguchi, was injured. So I, I, think, I don't think Kevin Muska dislikes him. I think he's reasonably satisfied with him. If he could find a better goalkeeper and bring him in, I, th- I think he would. But I mean, overall, there's good and bad. But yeah, he, I, I think he's done. Considering he came in as third choice from a club that are currently 13th in J1, I think he's done not bad. So would you add anything to that, Sam? Yeah, I think it's a really good point you make there. With the lack of experience he really had given his age and to be thrust into a team that yeah, he's going to have a lot of responsibility on and the way he plays, he wants they have to set the tone through a goalkeeper. And I think, yeah, there have been plenty of errors, um, but they're getting less and less. I think he is improving and I think he's done pretty well. And um, in front of him, that back line is not that settled, really. It's not necessarily a back line he can rely on to... Um, give the ball and not them not make mistakes. I don't think Eduardo or Kamijima, as it has been, or previously Hatanaka, are pretty have been that solid this season. So I don't think that necessarily helps either. But yeah, I think he's done fairly well. And yeah, the shot stopping certainly in this game was uh, very very good. And yeah, no real mistakes with his footwork that I can really remember in this game. So yeah, he is improving. And um, yeah, made a few wonderful saves in this uh, second half. One from Yamane low down, and then Sasaki in quick. Success session, palmed away, Atachi banner to volley, and yeah, just generally very, very good. At the other end, Marinos had one, they're still always a threat, aren't they, on the counter-attack, Elbert down the right found, Anderson Lopez tried this little flick left, uh, the outside of his left boot, but just poked that wide, but that was probably it for uh, F Marinos, and the deadlock finally broken, third minute of added time, uh, Sagawa, who we mentioned earlier, made a, a Ryota Oshima type pass, and unfortunately I have to report that he is again injured, which is such a shame. But yeah, wonderful pass from Sagawa. I thought the run from Ominavi as a centre-back was magnificent to pull away. And then he squared for Kuramaya, his fellow centre-back, to kind of bundle in over the line for a late winner. It's not the most beautiful goal that Frontale have ever scored. <laughs> but yeah, very, very important one for them. And uh, yeah, big blow for F Marinos. But for Frontale... Um, yeah, this moves them up to seventh as it is. They've still got that game in hand next week against Vissel Kobe. Uh, eight points off third. I mean, it's, I last week I think I ruled them out of um, the title, which I think may have guaranteed them winning the league this season. But uh, is top three out of the question or is just not enough consistency at Frontale? Uh, I, I think the, the fascinating thing is, because you mentioned the, the VCL Kobe game next week, two of their next three games are actually against VCL Kobe. So they, they essentially have a, a double header with 
VCL sandwiching a, a game at home to Gamba, who they always beat at home. So, I mean, if they were to win the next three games, why not? I, I would have to question the, the kind of consistency. Like, I think I read like Neil Devlin's blog today, and this is like a massive game for them, and the Frontale fans were absolutely lo- loving this. So, whether there is a bit of a hangover next week, the fact that you've you've played currently number two in the league and you've got to play number one in the league the, the following week and then one of the team the form teams and then potentially number one in the league again within the space of four games, can they raise their, their game to that, that level? Because as you mentioned in your, you said, Sam, that the amount of chances Marinos did, did miss in this game, you know, statistically, Frontale wouldn't always win this one, especially with their two centre-backs combining in, I mean, I was lucky enough to watch this game, but if I just sort of seen Kudamaya assisted by Ominami, I'd imagine it was some sort of corner and there was a header or something. Not, not Ominami charging around and delivering a, a beautiful cross. Um, so yeah, I mean, Frontalia not out of it, but I think top three, top four is more realistic than actually winning winning the league. I think one thing maybe to to point out we might have kind of glossed over is also that Marinos seemed to lose three players to injury within this game. I think Matsubara had a a concussion, which I I know concussion has been talked on about uh, on here before and also on on JTEP, but I think he should have went straight off rather than I think he played an extra couple of minutes, then went off at half time. And then Jan Matea seemed to have an, uh, a leg injury, and I think Nagato went off as well. So at the end, the, the Taki Akida was at left back, and I think Uenaka was in as a holding midfielder, and that, that really was kind of the end of them as an attacking force. They were kind of on the ropes waiting for, for Frontali to, to, to take advantage of. So, yeah, very, very long-winded answer. But I think I would never write off a Kawasaki Frontali side, but, you know, t- 12 points off the leaders... Uh, I'm not, not 100% convinced they're going to be champions this year, but definitely there are some chinks in some of the teams, like some chinks in the armour of some of the teams ahead of them that they might be able to take advantage of. Yeah, for sure. And we'll get into Marinos maybe in the title race just a little bit later, but yeah, you're right to point out their injury record. They've got so many players out. Both Koike is out now. The Yuta Koike, I think, was confirmed out injured as well. And uh, yeah, well, I just wanted to ask you, um, some Marinos supporters were quite unhappy with Kevin Muscat in midweek in the way that he picked his team. And that one made quite a few changes, obviously, for the cup game, which they then got spanked by Macha de Zelvia. And then it didn't really pay off in terms of they didn't get the result against uh, Kawasaki. And what would you say would be the right approach for a team like Marinos going into those cup games? Should he have played his full strength side and get um, a result against Machida, or did he do the right thing? It just hasn't worked out. It's a really, really tough one because it's easy to look back with 2020 hindsight. Like Machida played a few first team players and then their their game got called off at the weekend. So everything went rosy for them. Whereas yeah, Marinos, the, like, the worst possible, getting absolutely hammered but by a J2 team and then losing this game. And you kind of think like, yeah, they they lost one 0 If if they drawn this game, probably which it was very close to being a draw. I don't think there would be as much kind of backlash against Muscat. I think it's unfair to label Marinos for playing a weak inside in a cup because you know the amount of times you'll see players and coaches and kind of club staff saying, "Oh, we really want to win the Levan Cup or we want to win the Emperor's Cup or the ACL," and then what they actually do is put out a very weak inside. It's not just Marinos. I think there's five teams, five J1 teams went out in midweek. So, you know, it's, it's been a tough week for Marinos. But overall, Kevin Muscat's reign has been very successful and he's shown himself to be a very competent and, and good manager. So I think I'm 
like the next game, the next game they have is, is Urawa away, which is not making it any easier. But I think this is just a, a sort of mini storm for him to, to ride out. And I, I wouldn't say any any lasting damage has really been done to, to his team or, or his rep, like reputation. Would you go along with that? Yeah, I think just unfortunately the Emperor's come, I don't think is their priority this season. They've obviously got the league title to win. They've got the ACL coming up fairly soon. They're still in the Levant Cup as well. It's just one you can't play your strongest team every game. You're gonna get there. Have got so many injuries anyway. You're gonna only um, add to that if you're gonna play uh, yeah full strength each time. And it was still a, I didn't think it was that bad a squad they played in midweek either. Takuya Kida started. Marcos Junior did. There were plenty of uh, decent players in that lineup so yeah it's just one of those things yeah it looks really bad on paper that that, that um result but Machida are, are a team in f- full of confidence they've got very good players they're almost certainly going to be in J1 next season so yeah I just you'd chalk that down that that was just one of those things and yeah you can always lose to uh, Frontali as well they're not having the greatest season necessarily but yeah they kind of go Derby as they say form out of the window and all that so yeah no and just a minor blip for Marinos. They've got a little bit of time now to regroup and yeah, go again at their uh, title race. But yeah, they find themselves second in the table now after Vissel Kobe took advantage um, of their defeat on Sunday as they played Sagan Tosu. It was a fairly frantic start. First couple of minutes, the closest eight of the team came was Yoshinori Muto with a header uh, just wide from a Yuruki cross. But then after that first few minutes, I mean, the next half an hour or so, it kind of became an ode to Pipo Inzaghi is what I've written down. As <laughs> everyone seemed to be offside in every attack. It was just both teams played very high lines and they just kept catching players offside every time. It was pretty dull to watch, I have to be honest, on a Sunday afternoon when I went uh, and watched this game. But, uh, yeah, they cut the only real chance I can remember in that first half was Osako with a strike from long range in the 35th minute, well saved by Park. But thankfully, the second half was a much livelier affair. And I think it was really helped out by Rio Hatsase with um, a pretty naive challenge, I think, on Yuichi Naganuma. Tried to steal in front of him. Naganuma kind of shielded it. Hatsase comes through the back of him and concedes the penalty. And your man, Kaimam Tagashi, converted <laughs> from the spot for for 1-0 and at this point Johnny I, we'll get on to it later I think With there's a general theme in the J-League title race where if one team the leader drops points everybody else seems to bottle it at 1-0 here did you think this was happening to Kobe as well? Yeah this, it always seems to happen year in year out that all the teams around each other like the bottom of the league everyone will win at the same time or the top of the league everyone will drop points the same week and you know, Sagan Tosa is kind of classic like, stuffy side. You, you look at a lot of their like statistics and think, you know, they're they're ninth just now. Like, how how are they up there? Like, they seem to always be, be second best in games and a lot of the numbers, but apart from like what actually happens on the on the scoreboard. And, and I think we we're talking in the green room in the in the lead up to this, there was a bit of controversy about the the taking of the the throw in a, a few plays before that where. Maybe saying it was taken from a different postcode from the, the right place was, was a bit of an exaggeration. It was definitely taken from the wrong half. And you could hear them screaming about it. I think you said it was Kikuchi's throwing. But I think we've come to the conclusion that that doesn't mean you, like, you can override the, the, the penalty, which which was a penalty. And, you know, you saw there's a lot of experienced players there. Like, you know, Osako, Muto, Yamaguchi, Sakai. And they, they had to be at their best to, to G up the, the team to come back from, like, you know, that penalty. It's a it's a rash challenge and it's also maybe came from what, what they would say is a bit of injustice. So 
Tulsa getting an unfair advantage. I'm not not sure how much of an advantage they got from that sort of 15 yards or whatever that the throw-in was taken ahead. But yeah, there must have been a few few Kobe fans with their hearts in their mouths when it went to to one nil after after my man Tagashi's penalty. Yeah, as egregious as Kikuchi's moving down the line to gain um, yards for his throwing, uh, the day that VAR starts checking positions for throwings is the day this game has gone. I'm not watching anymore. So, yeah, thankfully with none of that. But, yeah, I can understand frustration. But at the end of the day, you're still going to defend it properly. And has to say, unfortunately, didn't in this moment. But, uh, yeah, Kobe, none of this bottle job nonsense. They equalised pretty much immediately. Fantastic. Uh, work from Sasaki down the left-hand side, found Osako and a clinical finish, such a wonderful finish into the roof of the net. Uh, he just There was some concern as he, after he struck it, he went down holding his knee and I thought, oh goodness me, that's, that can't be his knee, that can't be the end of his season or anything like that. But thankfully he was okay. There was I think there was a VAR check for this goal as well, but um, nothing came of that. It all, all stood and... Uh, yeah, it was a perfect response from Vissel. But um, Tosu, after that, had a reasonable burst for about 10, 15 minutes. After that, they uh, put Kobe under pressure. Not real clear-cut chances, but yeah, lots of um, energy at least. They had lots of effort. But then they had, a, in midweek, they had a, gone to extra time with Roasa Kumamoto. A, a fantastic game, actually. The uh, one game that they showed uh, worldwide on JFA TV, a perfect one. Uh, against Kumamoto but I think that exertion maybe got to them towards the end of the game as they really tired out and Kobe really um, took um, the advantage into that final uh, 10 minutes or so and uh, they took the lead in the 82nd minute and this was a blistering counter-attack. John Patrick nodding down on the edge of his own area to Yoshinori Muto. He played it through to Osako and then in like one glorious movement he controlled, spun and passed, releasing um, Muto away. He got um, towards the edge of the area, shot across Park Good save from part low down, but it was at the feet of Jean Patrick had made this lung bursting run on the left hand side to tap in, and then that goal is just exactly what Vissel had been about this season, isn't it, Johnny? Yes, uh, it's interesting you mentioned the, the Tosu game against Kumamoto because it seemed that both of those sides, I think that, that that game going to extra time seemed to take it out of both of them because they both fell away in the, in the second half. And yeah, Jean Patrick, you, you can definitely question his his contribution on a week by week basis, but it's hard to argue that when he scores, it's always an important goal, isn't it? Mm-hmm. That's that's just his second goal for Vissel in the league this season, but they've both been winning goals, both against Kyushu teams. And yeah, unfortunately, I remember him scoring a very famous winning goal for Sarasota last season, which wasn't the only winning goal he scored for them. So yeah, he doesn't, doesn't always do it, but when he does, it's, it's vitally important. And yeah, I think you know, everything you said there is, is correct. That speaks to the, the fighting spirit of, of Vissel and also the sort of counter-attack that you're never safe against Vissel. Even when you're, you're, you feel like you're a bit on top or you've got them pinned in, they can always come back and hurt you with that, with the, the kind of quality of attackers like Osako, Muto, Yuruki, and then they're bringing on Jean-Patrick. And you mentioned for the first goal at Sasaki, I think he really started to impress me in, in 2020, but he went off the boil for a bit and he's going to bounce back as another attacking weapon for them. So they just have so many ways they can hurt you from. If it's not Osako or Muto, then it's, you know, it's the... The Brazilian substitute Jean Patrick in with with the with what ultimately turned out to be the winning goal. Yeah, I think it's like really the ideal substitute when you a team that's you're sitting back a little bit and you need to counter attack. Like I think at two one or wherever that might be, Kobe 
could bring on Jean Patrick, and then he's perfect to counter attack. I think in a, when he starts games, I don't think he has a great deal of impact on the game. I don't think he's as good on the ball as uh, Yuruki or Muto on either side or Saki either. But yeah, a perfect um, super sub, if you will. And uh, yeah, it's provided a number of very important goals this season. And it did end the scoring, although Osako thought maybe it hadn't, as he made it, thought he'd made it 3 1 with a sumptuous half volley. Can you tell I'm really impressed with Osako's performance <laughs> in this game? But yeah, Muto crossed and it was chested down. It may have hit his hand. I'm not 100% sure. I think then it is knee. But then beautiful half volley into the roof of the net. But uh, yeah, this one and ruled out. And did you see conclusive evidence one way or the other? Well, the most conclusive thing I saw was um, Osako seemed to think the ball had hit his hand initially after he scored the goal. I, I only caught it in the highlights, but. You know, he, he seemed to say something about a hand to, to his teammate and he kind of showed his hand. So he didn't run away like massively celebrating. So but whether he necessarily agreed with the decision, I think he probably thought when VAR looked at it, he would be chalked off. And he, you know, I've seen things before, like in the Japanese summer, where, where players are forced to play on, but they know they're offside. It's like, are you sure you want me to play on? I think Osaka was a bit like that. I'm not, I'm not running and sprinting away in the middle of all this heat to, to just have my goal chalked off so I, I think he kind of knew it I mean you, you could probably argue that 3-1 might have been a more like would maybe more encapsulate the, the game than 2-1 did and it would have made things certainly easier for, for Kobe in that kind of injury time period and it would certainly have helped Osako in his battle with, with Anderson Lopez at the top of the standings but you know ultimately had to make do with it with a 2-1 and you know as you mentioned with that that second goal when, when Osako went down holding his knee there must have just been a gasp went around the, the stadium because if if they were to forced to play the last like you know 13 14 games without him that would make a huge huge difference because uh, i know there's been kind of talk around Vissel, you know iniesta's gone samper's just left and and Mugosha's gone back to korea so that there's spaces to bring in like you know, potentially high profile or even not so high profile players from from overseas or even a, a maya yoshida and that there's also been stories about like you know Rakuten mobile not not doing so well financially so question marks about the kind of financial pull of the club but yeah I think you know Vissel they've got a, they've got a really really good starting 11 they've, they've managed to patch up the, the centre-back position and like I said Sasaki's come in but you really do feel like like a lot of these teams that they really could do with some depth especially some sort of option for, for centre-forward should Osako go down I mean, what what do you see kind of happening this summer, Sam? Or do you think they'll go down the kind of expensive foreigner route or will they go down the experienced kind of Japanese national team player route or even potentially like a, a young up-and-coming player from J2? Like, What do you see happening? Well, they've certainly had more success when going through the experienced uh, former uh, Japan international route. And I think... I've said before, I thought Maya Yoshida was almost a no-brainer, really, given their defensive issues, as well as they've done just patching it up and playing whoever got Toko Sakai at centre-back last week, for example. But that seemed like a more likely one. The name I've seen linked this morning is uh, Kento Hashimoto coming back. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting one because I think midfield is not an issue, really, at the moment in terms of mm-hmm. Saito, Yamaguchi, Sasaki. I think that midfield three is pretty solid. But, yeah, a decent depth option. You, obviously, there's a lot of work that Saito especially puts in in terms of his play. And uh, maybe Yamaguchi could do with a, a break now and then. So he's a, he played well when he was at Kobe last. The rest of the team weren't. But he definitely improved <laughs> them in that position. But... Yeah, it's not necessarily the one I'd go for. I think they do need another striker. Yeah, Osako, if he was out, 
yeah, you could put Muto up there and then play Jean Patrick from the start out wide. But I just think the way that, like Osaka, the way he holds the ball up, the way that he brings everyone into play, and just the clinical nature of his finishing, which, uh, as much as I love Muto, he's not as clinical as Osaka by quite a distance. So, yeah, that'd be an absolute huge blow. Both of those sides at the top. They've got that one striker, Anson Lopez and Osako. If either of them lost them, I think both teams would be in a lot of trouble. But yeah, as it is, he's fine, and hopefully, long uh, long may that continue uh, for Vissel Kobe. And yeah, I mentioned their uh, title challengers bottling it earlier, and uh, I was really talking about Nagoya Grampus and Duraro as the teams in third and fourth, and they had a chance to really close the gap on Yokohama, but yeah, it wasn't to be really. Nagoya travelled to Kyoto and they fell behind inside 13 minutes. Uh, Hirato free kick kept out by a combination of Langerak and the post. Then Daiki Kanako looped ahead or up onto the bar and then it was finally scrambled in by uh, Yamasaki for 1-0. Yeah, glorious, glorious goal. <laughs> Fantastic scrambling. Uh, uh, Grampus levelled just after the hour mark after a poor clearance uh, fell to uh, Izumi who uh, yeah, edge of the area fired into the bottom corner a very nice finish it wouldn't it would have been eclipsed really a few minutes later with Kasper Juncker almost producing goal of the season it gets the ball inside his own half he holds off two defenders then surges forward he beats Hirato once then he beats him again gets towards the edge of the area thunders a shot off the crossbar with left footed so so unlucky but yeah Grampus were made to pay um, in stoppage time corner um, from the left hand side it was flicked on it goes into Patrick's face and it goes in another <laughs> fantastic goal from Kyoto wonderfully worked uh, but you know, who, who cares nine goals now for Patrick and uh, one more and they'll be dancing in the streets of Kyoto if my preview pod expert analysis is to be believed <laughs> so yeah no, not great for Nagoya same story really for Urawa they their previously watertight defence breached inside eight minutes in Osaka as uh, Cerezo's Mutsuki Kato teed up Leo Ciara for a simple finish and a 1-0 lead and it was 2-0 midway through the first half as Geordie Crew was released on the counter-attack he sprinted to the edge of the area cut inside a retreating Ogiwara and curled a beautiful strike into the far corner um yeah and Red's their day was pretty much summed up in the 77th minute. Okubo was brought down in the area by a rash uh, Funaki challenge. But again, maybe not the most amount of contact, but I think it was a penalty. Upstepped the ever-reliable Alex Schultz from 12 yards, but his penalty was pretty tame and saved by Jan. Arguments that he may have been off his line, not um, checked necessarily by VAR, or at least uh, not awarded by VAR. And yeah, Cerezo held on for that 2-0 victory. So yeah, big opportunities for these two sides and both of them missed, Johnny. Yeah, I think probably if the most surprising of the two would be Kyoto beating Nagoya and, and also by the kind of the, the way the game went, like Kyoto having by far the better of the chances, like really setting about Nagoya from the start. And I know I know Yamasaki's not your, your favourite player, and I have no idea why he's captain in Kyoto in, in J1, but you know, he, he did well to get it over the line, and it was it was no less than in Kyoto deserved it at that point. And yeah, as you say, I mean, Juncker, if that had gone in, that deserves to win any game or title. That that would have been an absolutely epic goal. But you know, upstaged by Patrick, the the Patrickometer now at 95 J1 goals. So I'm not going to put the markers on him and say he'll definitely get to 100 this year. I, I will just say he he will get close because he usually has one game a season where he just goes crazy and gets gets a hat trick. So. I think he might get close and 
It, it must have been quite quite interesting because you know Kenta Hasegawa was was his former coach at, at Gamba when they won the treble together. So they've probably got quite a good relationship. Well, maybe not maybe not this weekend, but I think Grampus will be bitterly disappointed to have conceded a goal from a corner the way they did, and also the kind of performance they put out. You know, we, we mentioned um, you know Vissel Kobe and, and Marinos losing a main striker. I think Grampus they are eleven very good players, but when you take one or two players out. The level just kind of dips because Mariama's been injured. Yonimoto was on the bench after getting taken off last week. Nagai was suspended. And the, the, the level of the performance just drops down. I know they've got Naoki Maeda's coming back. And as far as I know, there's no word in Yuki Soma, but essentially he could come back. I, I don't know if he actually will. But yeah, I mean, Nagoya are still very much in the title race. That They're not in the ACL this year, which may help in, in the running. But very, very susceptible to, to injuries. Um, yeah, and then Cerezo seem to have channeled the, the winner, uh, Consadole Sapporo, by just having ridiculous results swings from one week to the next. I think they can, they can beat everyone in the league and they can also lose to everyone. They, they do, in fairness to them, they do seem to have upped their kind of attacking output. I think Ciara was really good in the first half of the season in terms of being very clinical. They just, it was the midfield wasn't giving enough chances to them, but they seem to have like, upped their game with, Crew had a, a very good game here, and Kapishaba seems to be coming on to a bit bit of a game. So whether they can push on, I don't really have them as a genuine title contender, even though they're only eight points off the top. That they could, I mean, they should still consider themselves up with a, a chance, even if I don't necessarily think that. But you know, Reds have only won two, two times in the last seven, and they failed to score four times in the, in that time period. Um, Hiroki Abe, I mean, I'm sure they'll be hoping he'll be the have the same effect as like Miyaichi maybe had at, at Marinos. And while he's a clearly a very, very talented player, when someone's been that injury prone for that long, there's always the tendency that the most likely outcome is they continue to be quite injury prone. So I definitely expect Reds, with, with especially with ACL commitments coming up, I think they'll be quite active looking for, for forwards and attacking midfielders. I, I know you've mentioned like Kuroki. Yasui stepped up a good bit, but I'm not sure if you're challenging for a title. Is, is he really someone you'll have all your all your eggs in that basket? Kind of alongside Hayakawa is another young player that's come in. Very, very talented, but you really want, you know, Vissel, we mentioned, or Marinos, they've got players who've been there and done that. I think Reds maybe need more of that in the, you know, in the attacking thirds. Um, so what, what, I know that's, that's a bit big, long Rank for me, but what would you make of that Reds in, in Nagoya? Do you, do you agree with that? Or is there anything you'd add, Sam? Yeah, for certain with Reds, they as I don't think you can rely on Hiroki Abe. He's played such little football since moving to Barcelona. It just didn't work out with the injuries that he kept getting. And you, you can't say he's going to be fit for the rest of the season. You can't guarantee anything like that. And who knows what level he's going to be at either. They're still. It seems like they're still manoeuvring their foreign players around, trying to get Moberg out, maybe trying to get Linson out. And you imagine that's where their attacking reinforcements are going to come from in terms of uh, some foreign players. The, the recruitment hasn't always been great. Like Jose Cante, I have not really seen enough from him that suggests that he could play. Well, he's obviously not getting in the side ahead of Shinzo Kuroki, which says all you need to know about what his impact really has been. So, yeah. And if you can't defend, they didn't really in this first half. Some of the defending was un arara like because they've been able to rely on that and keep themselves in games, which is why you know, they've had quite a few nil-nil draws and they've been able to get away with not having that attacking impetus. But, yeah, they are lacking a few things in that. They've definitely got the money. 
to, to go out and buy a few players and really improve that. So I wouldn't give up on them yet, but this was a poor performance. And Nagoya, you're absolutely right. When you look at that for, uh, lineup and Kawazura, Tales, Uchida playing in midfield, it does that doesn't scream title winning team to me. And yeah, there's only a couple of, of players missing through injury or suspension. So yeah, squad depth absolutely necessary for them. I don't, yeah, they. Sh- I don't know. I've not seen any real links for. Nagoya other than Maeda's come in so yeah I think there is still work to do for Kenta Hasegawa but yeah they're still in there it's just a blip at the moment and hopefully for them they get a few players in the next couple of weeks and use the break to get players back from injury uh, and uh, yeah go again I think that lack of ACL it may really help them because yeah I think Marinos and Reds their squads are going to be really stretched so that's going to be an interesting period of the season and um, yeah before I go move away from this top half of the table or top teams I unfortunately or unfortunately or unfortunately I don't know have to bring in Kashimar Adlers who they did take advantage of the slip-ups and won for the first time in four games against FC Tokyo. It looked like the good times were continuing to roll for FC Tokyo as Matsuki was released on the left side, found Diego Oliveira, who has been revitalised under Peter Klamowski. He spun and finished superbly to give the host the lead. But uh, despite, I mean, the offside call to start with, and this was one of the worst <laughs> I've seen. He's so far onside, Matsuki was flagged offside, but thankfully uh, VAR uh, did award the goal. Uh, but it didn't, the lead didn't last too long. Uh, and it was level in the 23rd minute. Yuma Suzuki thumping over header from a corner. And then Kashima went 2-1 up on the stroke of half time. I wasn't watching any of these games live. I wasn't available, but I did have this goal spoiled through me as any time Kakata scores, Scott McIntyre sends me a message <laughs> saying he cannot be stopped. So yeah, it's a lovely um, ball in from Higuchi, the volley cross and Kakata turned it away, uh, turned it in. I thought, yeah, Kashima back to having Kakata up front, Suzuki behind, moving Higuchi further forward with Salo in midfield. I just looked at that team on paper and thought, that is a proper Kashima team. That is the best that they can put out. And it proved to be with their results. They went 3-1 up in the start of the second half. Diego Pituca drilling home after Slavic had denied the aforementioned Yuki Kakata a second. Very, really good save. So 3-1 there. The only thing left to happen in this game really was uh, a bit of dogzo action as uh, Anzai was uh, brought down Nozawa. Um, yeah, he got sent off. I think that's the correct call, but no way back for FC Tokyo. So after that, Kashima move into sixth place. They are on 33 points. They are six points outside the top three. But yeah, Johnny, how do you see the state of this title race? Firstly, how far down the table are you looking? Would you go as low as Kashima? And then is it too simplistic to say that Kobe are top, have a game in hand, no ACL distractions, so they must be favourites? Uh, no, that's way too simple for J- J1. <laughs> I, I, I think Kashima, I'm sorry, one swallow doesn't doesn't make a summer because they, they came into that game in a run of what one win in the last seven against not particularly challenging opponents overall. And uh, they were, looked very impressive against the FC Tokyo, but I think they were... I mean, Continuing a theme, they were a bit overly reliant on Suzuki and Higuchi in particular. I think Suzuki, nine goals, Higuchi, nine assists. And you know, while well, you're joking about Yuki Kakita, I mean, his his stats don't really stand out. But when he was out of the team, they really were were lacking. I think against Gamba, they had Somin always up front and he just did, did not fit in at all and has been shipped out and loaned to J2. So I think, yeah, having him back, I think they, they will continue to pick up results. 
they could finish a bit higher up than they currently are, but I, I don't see them, or I'm afraid Sarah, so I don't see them, either of them winning the title. I would say one of the current top four will win it. And yeah, yeah, I wouldn't, I'm not going to eliminate any of the top four because it, the top, it's easy to look at the standing and see Kobe and Marinos as the top two. They're four points clear of third place. It should be one of those two. But then you mentioned that Marinos have, have ACL, which Grampus don't. We always have we have the summer transfer window, which, as you mentioned, any of these sides could bring players in. They could all lose players. Players could get injured. Players could come back from injury. And yeah, I think, yeah, I mean, Reds, there's probably not one player at Reds, I would say, if, if he got injured, they would fall apart in the way that you might say, like a, a Juncker or Anderson Lopez or Osako might take the top three, uh, like, like take their level down. So I'm definitely not going to rule out Reds at this point, but I'm going to draw my line below fourth place Reds. How about you? Yeah, I think I agree with you. I don't think Kashmir are consistent enough to really push into that, well, at least for a title race, a title push, maybe an outside chance of an ACL place if one of those top four really drops off. And Cerezo, I mean, they're two points off fourth, but I don't see them as a top four contender. So <laughs> don't know what that about Cerezo. I mean, I just don't get them. They're a bit of an enigma to me this season. I very rarely seen them play that well. They were quite good from what I saw against Red, so fair play to them there. They've still got very good players, but yeah, just I think they've still got inconsistencies as well. Uh, Reds and Nagoya, I think yeah, they're like maybe one or two players away each from being a very, very good team, so you can't rule them out. They've definitely both got the resources to bring in those players if they can get that right, so yeah, uh, absolutely both involved. Marinos, we can see they, they shouldn't necessarily have lost at the weekend. They've got plenty of players, plenty of attacking talent, so they can win any game, and yeah, Kobe, I think probably are in the best position just because again no ACL they've got a decent squad they've got the money to bring in players so they'd probably be favourites at the moment but yeah this is the J League nothing is that simple and uh, yeah I can't rule out any of these four like you so yeah really exciting end of the season this title race and yeah, that's everyone down to seventh covered. Uh, yeah, Frontale may well win it if I, after I've ruled them out. I don't <laughs> see it. But yeah, after a quick hit of music, we will drop down to the bottom of the table. On to the bottom of the table now. And the game you were at, Johnny. Gambro Osaka, the form team in Japan, hosting Kashiro Reisol. And the good times continue to roll for Johnny with a magnificent passing sequence, which ended with a 10-minute goal for Dawan. A perfect start for your boys, Johnny. Yeah, but there's, just before that, there seemed to be a, a handball on the box for, for Kashiro that everyone in the stadium seemed to, to see. And then the ball went out for a, for a throw-in and then um, they checked VAR and Juan Alano got into trouble for, for walking the ball over to the penalty spot because he seemed convinced it was going to be a penalty, but it, it wasn't given. Um, and that seemed to really kind of inspire Gamba, a, a lovely passing move. And yeah, that, that one, I mean, what, what, a, what a performance from midfield from him this season, five goals and four assists. He just doesn't doesn't miss at the moment, and you know, perfect start for Gamba as they have been making at home in in recent weeks. And you know, Kashiwa, you know, a lot of the body language what wasn't good. You know, I feel a bit sorry for them. That it's a cliche to say your know, heads went down, but literally heads did go down. It's like here we go again. Ten minutes, ten minutes in. It's a hot night away from home, team in form, and we've gone one nil down. And yeah, in, in fairness to them, despite that, they actually managed to show a bit of fight and, and come back into things. 
Yeah, I'm glad you and Gamba can find um, inspiration from balls hitting defenders in the chest and then getting thing, a sense of injustice because there was never a penalty. And, but yeah, if, if that's what riles them up and gets them that goal, then fantastic. And it was a wonderful piece of play. And yeah, Darwan released a bit more in that midfield with Lavi in behind. It allows Darwan to go forward. And yeah, he's uh, performing magnificently. I thought both of them, him, Darwan and Lavi especially, played very well in this game, as did... Uh, Yamamoto, but yeah, the lead didn't last uh, forever. Gamba still have defensive issues, I think, that still need to be worked on, as well as they have played in this recent run. And yeah, 20 minutes or so played, Gamba had a couple of chances, I thought, where the move had broken down for Kashua, where Gamba could have cleared, maybe got a foot in, didn't really. Mateo Savio kind of retrieved the situation in the area, found Malhosoya, low shot in past Higashiguchi for 1-1, and that's how it remained at the break. It was level, but were you kind of satisfied with how Gamba had played? Or, and what did you make of Kashiwa? You mentioned their body language there. Did that improve after 1-1? Well, I wasn't particularly impressed by, by either side in the first half, to, to be honest. I, I think you know, he kindly left Shota Fukuoka's name out of the, the, the Kashiwa goal because he was going to give the ball away and then, yeah. then got, got beaten. And there was, I mean, there was a bit of bad news for Gamba in the, in the lead-up of this game, where it was announced that Riku Handa, who's obviously had interest from from Europe, he he'd broken his leg in training, so it basically has the same effect as a move to Europe. He's not really going to be playing for the rest of the season, and I think that might facilitate Fukuoka potentially challenging Ryu Takao at, at right back because Yota Sato is back in training, so he might go into centre back. And yeah, I um yeah, I wasn't convinced by Gamba. I think this was more. What Poyatos wants, though, in a way, because at the start of the season, I think probably by his own admission, he'd say he tried to change things too too quickly and he kept getting caught out in counterattacks and things. And then maybe from the Grampus game onwards, he's been a bit more pragmatic in how he's defended. Whereas here, I think he probably felt that the pressure was off a bit, that they had a bit more of a go and they were quite susceptible to, to Kashiwa counterattacks. However, I think if, if anyone's only really seen the highlights, you might see a few, like throughout the game, a few Kashiwa chances. But they all came when Kashiwa were behind. When it went to 1-1, but when Kashiwa had drawn level, they seemed to very much be kind of everyone behind behind the ball. And the pressing wasn't that great. There was a lot of gamba kind of passing between the centre-backs and goalkeepers. But then when they were able to work it, there were only two or three passes away from being towards the edge of the, the Kashiwa defence. So a very kind of nervy performance from Kashiwa. And, you know, I mean, you're a braver man than me, Sam. I think you often tweet out like in-game, like live comments and analysis and, and updates and things. There's a reason why I don't do that. And I would just make myself look really stupid because I, I sent a message at halftime slaughtering Takao and Meshino and Fukuoka, saying the right side of Gamba wasn't wasn't working and something needed to change. And, and maybe right at the start of the second half, I, I was left with egg in my face. Uh, yeah, I have no worries about that. I'm happy to make myself look stupid on a weekly basis. <laughs> That's what you sign up for when you come and do this podcast, at least. So, yeah, yeah. So, I'm just on casual in terms of in possession, the thing I noticed there. Uh, Hosoya uh, and Grote playing as a front two, but they just never really got the ball to them. I know they did. Hosoya did score in the end, but in possession, it just seemed like they were reluctant to go into Grote necessarily. They just had no real idea how to use those two te- those two players. Was that down to good marshalling from Gamba, or did there was a lack of? Do you think there was a lack of confidence maybe in the race on midfielders? De- definitely not due to good marshalling by Gamba. <laughs> but I think yeah, it comes to a kind of bigger point about, about Kashiba. Like when I saw that starting eleven, 
I thought this is a good team. Like, what are they doing down the bottom of the league? Because you've got the the classic like big man, smaller man combination. You've got the the height and, and strength of Groot, and then you've got Hosoya's well, quick, he's nimble, he's fast, he, he scores goals. That, that's a good front two, and you've got Matias Savio and Koyamatsa out wide, Shihashi and Takamini, good holding midfielders. There's no Tadsta or Sasaki who've been kind of pinned for making individual errors. Diego's back. I, from the outside, I look at Kashiwa and think, you know, there's nothing really separating them from being like ninth or tenth in the league. It just seems to like confidence seems to have been sapped. You know, Nelsinho's gone, he had us come in, and what we'll probably go on to talk about in the second half, like, you know, it's easy again with hindsight, but that internal appointment, I wonder if, I think it's really time for Kashiwa to go into external Allardyce mode, and like, you know, Gamba in a, a great run of form at the moment. The two hardest games have been Yokohama FC away and last week against Kyoto at home. And I think the reason being those two sides, I think, are quite attuned to where they are in the, in the bigger picture. And they, they defend deeply, they defend in numbers. They, they know other teams are going to have more creative players than them, but they kind of play accordingly. Whereas Kashiwa are still kind of stuck in that mindset. Whereas, like I've said, from opponents will treat them as being perhaps better than they actually are. And they also have a perception of themselves being better than they actually are, which has just led to this negative spiral of them kind of not really knowing where it's going wrong, but but knowing that it is going wrong. And I'm not really sure what the answer is. I, I, I mean, if if you were to ask me why are they not as high as they were last season, I could give you an answer. But why are they 17th? Why is this group of players 17th? I, I really don't know. Do, do you have any answer, Sam? No, I, it was actually a question I had posed for you later <laughs> on, but yeah, it's uh, I don't know. There's so many good players in that team. Um, Mateus Savio expects a bit more of maybe. I think he's trying to take on a little bit too much himself. Like second half, he was shooting from corners, and it was like <laughs> Cristiano back when he played for went for a Kofu. That's how it seemed uh, to me. I think Koyamatsu I've been a bit disappointed in. I don't think he's necessarily played as well as he's previously done. I don't think they get enough out of the strikers. I think yeah just occasionally go a bit long ball, just launch it up to grow it a little bit, nod it down to so It's not pretty, but it was probably their most effective route to goal. And yeah, they play as if they are this really, I think they want to play a more expansive or proper brand of football that they're not quite good enough at at the moment. It's not really getting them anything. And which you mentioned there with Kyoto and Yokohama, they're, they're playing kind of an unapologetic style. We're not pretty. We're just going to get results that way. And uh, yeah, if we have to sit back and defend deeply, they will do. They will go long if they have to. They will uh, kind of be a bit mixing it up. So yeah, maybe race will need to go that way. But you just look at those players and I can understand if Ihara looks at those players and think, we can play really good football. We've got so many good players. <laughs> But um, why isn't it happening? And it's, it's um, yeah, conundrum. He hasn't been able to figure out. Nelsinho uh, didn't figure out. And it might just be a case that they have to just survive this season, get there, get off the bottom by any uh, any um, measure. And at the moment, they're just about there, but it's not looking great. And this second half was not very good for Kashua at all. Blistering start to the half from Gamba. Your halftime whipping boy, Ryotaro Meshno, must have, <laughs> must have really sensed uh, your frustration. Because, yeah, Thunderbolt into the top corner. I mean, did this take you back to the, those first days at Gamba for Meshino when he was on the scene, just scoring goals for fun in that like, four or five games he played before Man City took him? Yeah, yeah, it actually was on my, my mind last night because I, I, I was sitting in the, the kind of backstand, the stand across from, from where the camera is, if you're watching on 
on TV. And I, I was kind of right behind him. So you could see the angle. There's like a little bit of net for him to aim at. It's not easy to do, but he aimed and it, it went in. I mean, you can blame Matthias Savio for not really closing him down, right? But most players are not going to score a goal like that. And you could really see what it meant to him. You know, he, I, I, I maintain over the course of the 90 minutes, he didn't actually play that well. I think it's a bit like Yuya Fukuda a week ago. He, he scored the winning goal, but then he was dropped for this week. But Meshino's come in and he has produced a moment of magic, which has really set the game in, in his side's favour. But I think overall in the summer transfer window, I think Poyatos is happy with, with Juan Alano on one of the wings. I think the other wing is a as a position that I think Gamba are going to look to strengthen, despite the, the excellent contributions from, from Meshino and, and Fukuda. And again, as I mentioned about heads going down at, at Kashiwa, I mean, they just went, they just dropped to the floor really after Ihar has probably given his team talk, you know, just keep it tight 10 or 15 minutes and we'll, we'll try and catch from the counter-attack in the last half hour or so. And then that's out the window within a minute of the second half starting. It's yeah, it really must have been a gut punch for them, but fantastic from a Gamba perspective. Yeah, and if that was a gut punch, well, what was this in the 63rd minute? Gamba get, getting a penalty, Juan Alano sent through, and Sushia has a go trying to bring him down. Then eventually Shihashi does pull him down and hit to add, make matters worse, really. The red card as well for denying a, an obvious goal-scoring opportunity. First of all, I, think, I don't think there's any debate about the penalty, Johnny, but what do you make of the red card? This is interesting because in the stadium where it happened, because it happened really, really quickly. So naturally you're drawn to Orlando, the player clean through it, and the goalkeeper. So I, I think me and the people around me had made the assumption that the goalie must have touched Orlando and that's why he fell over because it, it was kind of difficult to see. And then when it's VAR was announced, there's a kind of gasp like, oh, is it not going to be a penalty? A bit like you mentioned the, the first half. Everyone was convinced it was a handball. And then when you actually see it up close, it's clearly a chest. Um, but then it said to check him for checking for a dog so and I, I kind of had the feeling like I've seen enough J League to know this is probably going to be a red card. Um, I think unfortunately for for Kashiwa, it, it didn't help them. But I think by the letter of the law, as you say, it was a penalty kick. And with what I saw on the on the replays later on, I think he did have to go off for 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 a dog so, and that really kind of killed the game as a contest. And it's it, kind of things like that, you know. I think Sean Carroll was on a few weeks ago and said about when, when teams get on a good run or get on a bad run, they just seem to continue. And I think this is a classic case of, you know, Gamba were right down there a few weeks ago and now everything is going in their favour. And Kashi are just in that, that doom spiral that everything you think can go wrong is going wrong. And, you know, I, I, I'm a Gamba fan, but I, I, I did feel a bit of sympathy, I have to be honest, with, with Kashi. It really did kill the game off. 3-1 down, penalty kick, 10, 10 men for, for the remainder of the game. It really was game, set and match at that point. Yeah, I thought it was slightly harsh on him. I think it's a clear foul, obviously, he pulls him back. But Alano still gets some sort of shot away. So has he really denied an, an obvious goal-scoring opportunity? He has made it more awkward for certain. And, uh, but I think he still got the shot away. I think it could have been yellow card penalty. I think that might have been just about fair. But yeah, I suppose... I guess letter of the law, it's um, definitely last man, it's definitely uh, foul, he's not making any genuine attempt for the ball, so I can understand why it's been given, I just, I, yeah, felt sorry for Ray Sol, which I don't know if they want our pity, but that's what they're getting <laughs> on, on this episode, but yeah, they didn't get any uh, pity from Juan Alano, converted that penalty, sending Matsumoto the wrong way, and as you said, it was pretty comfortable from there on, 3-1 winners for there for Gamba. So, yeah, one win in 14 to start the season, Johnny. Now six wins in seven. How have you managed this turnaround? Um, 
uh, as I'm a Gamba correspondent, I'm going to attempt an answer. I'm not not quite sure, but you know, I, I would argue, you know, Gamba were down there at the bottom, but it's as with Cashew at the moment, everything was going wrong that could go wrong in the first half of the season. I, I would say, barring maybe 15 minutes in the first half against Shonan, Gamba were never the worst team in the league. But even if results kind of showed that, there was a lot of games where where things went, you know, against Gamba. You you had. Um, for example, the, the first game against Kashiwa, the, the game against Tosu, the game against Yokohama FC. I think Gamba would feel they should have won all of those games. They ended up drawing. And then you had, for example, Serizo or, or Kyoto or Hiroshima, where, where Gamba lost. And they could at least have got a draw of all those games. They, they might even have felt they should have beat Serizo and San Frecci. And even if you cast your mind back to the, the 2-2 with, with um, Sapporo, where I think um, Ogashiba scored a goal where Fukuda passed the ball back and went all the way through to Ogashiba. And Fukuda looked rather stupid, but I mean, I made the, the argument, I think there's there's one, two, and probably three Gamba players were not in the right position. Like, Fukuda should have expected someone to be there and things just weren't calibrated. Again, with like Hiroshima's winning penalty against Gamba, I think, yeah, as, as I mentioned earlier, Poyatos maybe tried to change too much too quickly, but slowly but surely things have started to pick up. The schedule is definitely hindered and helped. Uh, the the five-game losing run was against, as I mentioned, the last time it was on, it was against teams all in the top kind of six or seven, whereas this kind of seven-game unbeaten run, apart from, you know, we, we put uh, uh, Kashiwa, uh, sorry, not Kashiwa, K- Kashima uh, away when they were in the middle of a good run, and that was without Lavi or Jabali in the team. But the other teams we've, we've beaten or drawn with have all been down the bottom or have all been kind of b- badly out of form. But I feel like, the players are now more comfortable with, with Poyatos' system. He, he's identified who, who he likes, who he doesn't like, or who he wants and who he doesn't want in each position. And you know, now we're, we're 13 points above bottom place Shonan, and we're also 13 points behind third place Nagoya, which is probably statistically as close to mid-table as you're ever going to get. So, yeah, I mean, there's not... I mean, from the outside, there might not be a ton to play for for the rest of this season, but I think in terms of Poyato's building something for, for hopefully next season, you know, going for a top four position, building around players like Lavi and, and uh, Dawan, uh, Jabali up front, and maybe sorting out defence. We, we have temporarily stopped conceding from corners, even though I, I do have kittens every single time uh, opposition have, have corners. So Matthias Savio shooting from corners certainly didn't help you last night, even, even if it amused you. But yeah, I, I don't know if I really, really answered your question, but I, I think... You know, we weren't as bad as the results made out early on in the season and we're perhaps not quite as good as the recent run has, has made out. We are a mid-table side still. There's things to work on, but but reasons to be cheerful after a, a long time of gloom. I mean, what have you made from, from the outside looking in, so to speak? I think we've just generally been able to have a, a slightly more consistent lineup. Yeah, there are a couple of changes out here and there, but no wholesale changes. I remember back at the, towards the start of the season, you'd had a two-all draw with Kasia, actually. Um, it was a reasonable performance. Yeah, I think you know, it was maybe unfortunate to not win that game and then made plenty of changes for the Vissel Kobe game and got battered. I just didn't understand that. And they may, it, it was, yeah, may, maybe making too many changes, tinkering too much when generally Gamble were playing fairly well, just maybe not getting the results. So now a little bit more consistency. I think the back line is better, not perfect, but Kwano for Quoko, I think he's fine. Sato, I think, would come back in and I think he's maybe a better option there. I'm very happy that Gentamira is nowhere near the starting lineup <laughs> at the moment. I think 
that as Rio mentioned on the pod with the his analysis wonderful analysis on Usami being in that midfield and the problems that was causing defensively to take him out. I think that midfield three now is very very good. I, I really like Lavi and Darwin especially, so that's definitely helped. And yeah, it was it started with Karata coming out on that left wing, and you've just got. <laughs> Uh, contributions from players some more there's not just an over-reliance maybe on Jabali necessarily there are contributions throughout the squad so it's um yeah it's been a really good I have to hold my hands up I uh, what there was a stage I was thinking well I didn't I wouldn't have hired Priatus in the first place but there was definitely a period where I was thinking okay that's it he's, there's no way he's coming back from this but that you've done very very well and yeah just to, to end the season like you said there's not a great deal to play for but is it just in terms of getting consistent performances and really building and learning the way that Piatos plays, is that really the aim for this, the, the rest of this season? Yeah, I, I think another thing maybe we haven't mentioned is kind of well, attendance, because there was only like 18,000 mm. in the stadium last night, and Gamba, I think like FC Tokyo as well, 2019, they, they posted their um, their highest ever like average attendance. I think Gamba's was just under 28,000. And obviously things have slowly kind of got back to normal, but you know, the Osaka derby sold out. They've had a few games with, with big attendances, but in general they've been about eight or nine thousand lower than what they were pre-pandemic. And obviously Gamba's Gamba's results haven't haven't helped. So four wins in a row. I know in, in general there was a there was a very good atmosphere in the stadium last night. I think there was a bit of trouble like at the end. Some of the supporters behind the goal. We're singing about Kashiwa going to J2 and I think a bit of taunting. You might remember back in round one, uh, Mal Hosoya cupped his ears in front of the Gamba support and he was copping a bit of abuse. The Gamba players did tell the supporters to, to be quiet, but then this probably all sounds ridiculous to fans listening outside of Japan, but Poyatos made an apology in the post-match interview and then Gamba put a statement today apologising for, for some supporters suggesting that Kashiwa may go down to J2, but in general, prior to that incident, there was a there was a very good atmosphere there, and the next home game is against Shonam, which is the, the summer expo game, and I think I bought my tickets for that yesterday, and I think it might well sit, sell out that game because there wasn't too many tickets left when I was I was buying, but yeah, I think that the style of football, play, play more Poyatos' style and getting more fans into the stadium and enjoying the atmosphere and enjoying the games, because. Um, I think yeah, Ben mentioned there on the season about the, the WBC and maybe there's a bit of a kind of revival in baseball because both Gamba and Sirizo, they, they kind of face challenges like there's Hanshin Tigers, a very, very popular team kind of in Gamba and Diesel territory. And Sirizo is close to Oryx Buffaloes who won the, the domestic championship last year. So that there's a lot of things to, to see and do in Osaka. So the, the teams really do have to fight in terms of the, the playing style and the results. So I think that, yeah, yeah, getting Poyatos' ideas across and kind of building up a fan base would be quite quite important. And if I was to to maybe just say one more thing positive about about Poyatos, because I think I did hear in JTEC the other week they said Tokushima are still like joint most draws in the division, whereas draw is now Gamba's least frequent result. So so maybe Poy- uh, maybe draws are more of a Tokushima thing than a Poyatos thing. Um, unfortunately, defeats are still the, the most common result for Gamba, but hopefully that kind of that, that sorts itself out as we as we go forward. Yes, maybe we've all been guilty of being slightly unfair on this. Term. <laughs> yeah, that's 
not referencing anyone in particular <laughs> myself but yeah we'll move on he's, he's doing very well I have, I have no complaints at the moment with his current the way that Gamber are playing yeah sorry Danny but, uh, yeah, we'll move on quite quickly and we'll go to the Kitlash derby where Sean and Belmari played a Vispa for Quoka both wearing very similar kits and much to Alan Gibson's fury on Twitter I noticed and doesn't make sense to me but yeah we'll carry on it wasn't that easy to watch the highlights but I did and it does seem like one-way traffic for Shonan I mean Murakami was very very busy in the Avispa goal he saved from Tiger Hatter early but and made various other um uh, saves in this game but uh yeah he's indebted to Douglas Grawley who cleared from underneath his own bar from a Hiroyuki Abe shot Shuto Yamamoto struck the post with a cushion volley so but no luck for Shonan on this day um Avispa got the three points with uh, Douglas Grawley actually controlling a knockdown um in the, I think it was the 85th minute firing low past Song for all three points, yeah, just devastating that one for Shonan. No idea how they came away with nothing uh, there. And likewise, devastation for Yokohama FC. Yeah, when you're down at the bottom, nothing really goes your way. And they thought they had uh, won this game against Sanfrecce Hiroshima. They were 1-0 up in the 86th minute. Uh, Kondo, I, I don't know what this was. Shot, cross, just hit across the box. I don't know what it was, but it went to Kotoro Hayashi, who swept in for 1-0. And, yeah, they thought they'd won that. But then, in the words of the zone commentator, which I really like, Ninja Kashiwa appeared behind <laughs> Sven Broderson, made him look silly, hiding behind the goalkeeper as he drops the ball down. Kashiwa stole in, um, squared it for Piero Sotiriu to tap in for an empty net, into an empty net for 1-1. So just devastating most of this. Reasonable displays, I thought, from both teams, Belmari and Yokohama FC. Just the one point there and two points separating that bottom three. And Yokohama in 16th, that eight points off 15th place. Kyoto, I mean, it's got to be, a, it's one of those three, isn't it, Johnny? Yeah, it has, it has to be. I think things have kind of sorted themselves out. Even if it was a regular season with two down and one in the playoff, you'd still say it's, it's those three, isn't it? Mm. The, gap is, the gap is so big. I mean, I wonder if um, if Sven Brodersen got a, a commiserating text from Kei Ishikawa about what, what happened last year in the Gamba Kawasaki game because it was almost identical here. And yeah, but Pieros, yeah, it's good good for Sam Fretchy to have him back, but you know, absolutely devastating for for Yokohama FC. And, I mean, Sam Fretchy, I was I was looking into it since since Mitsuta got injured, they've taken now eight points from ten games, which. You know, projected over the whole season, that would only just put them above Yokohama FC, which shows how how badly they've fallen and how badly they need his goals. Um, you know, coming back to Yokohama FC, I know when they played Gamba a few weeks ago, I was I was messaging John Steele, and I quite like the look of the Matias Moraes, the new centre back they've got mm-hmm. in there, the Brazilian. He looks quite quite a proactive player. I think he's still very raw and he's got a mistake in him, but I, I really did like the look of him. I thought he might be someone who who could go somewhere, but. I mean, it's at the other end of the field, Yokohama FC have got all their all their problems. There's no no wins in their last seven, and they've only scored three goals. And I think if you put this the, the three draws they've taken, the Hiroshima, and then at home with Urawa and Gamba, they, they could easily have won all of those games. And they, they they've not, and they've only scored one goal in, the, in three of them. And that's that's really why they're down there, and why they're likely to stay down down there for the rest of the season. Shonan, I mean, at the time of going to press. Yamaguchi is still the coach. I, I kind of half expect him to go at some point. Though I, I've seen Katanosaka link that I do not recommend that. I think if you're going to go the former Gamba Allardyce route, I think Kiyama Okayama seems to be under pressure. I think he'd be more the one I'd, I'd go with. But, you know, 15 games without a win, they're, they're in dire straits. 
I do like that they've signed uh, Akira Silvano Di Saro. I, I like the look of that. As anyone who's listened to JTET will, will know, he's a very popular figure down there. But yeah, I mean, unfortunately, he's he's yet to prove himself at J1 level. But if you think of players that Shonan could realistically have got, I think he is a bit of a jack in the box, and you know, he he may he may be able to to to, to spring a bit of a surprise or, or do something for them because. There's only one team going down. You know, as I said, if it was three teams going down, all these teams are, are well up the creek without a paddle. But you know, Shonan are only two points off 16th, so it could small small things might make big differences. But you know, at the moment, you know, both of these teams, it's it's hard to see where the next win's coming from. I'd like to be more positive about them, but you know, if if there's to be, I've wrote down some, some maths to to try and balance it out a little bit because you know, last season. Sorry, last week when um, Fukuoka and, and FC Tokyo got positive results that got them to 26 points, I kind of had them down as, as being safe. And my reasoning being, you know, let's make it 25 to make it kind of round. So anyone who's reached that kind of level of points after 21 games, they're averaging over one point a game. So even if they collapsed over the last 13 games to say half a point a game, they would still end up the season with just like 31, 32, 33 points, which would leave... You know, Kashiwa and Shonan have only won two games so far this season. Yokohama only three games. That's like less than 10 or less than 15%. All of those three teams would then have to win over 50% of the remaining games to, to drag any other team into trouble. So yeah, it just has to be one of these three teams. I still see them Kashiwa and think that surely they'll have to drag themselves out of, out of the fire. But one of those three has got to go down, surely, surely, Sam. Uh, yeah, I, I, be, I mean, it is the J League. You never know with any of this, but <laughs> I just can't see it. And yeah, it is. That it's going to be a small margin. I think you just look on paper, you think Racel have got players that can pull themselves out of it. One of them is going to yeah, click into gear at some point and drag them out. So if I, I mean, yeah, it hasn't happened yet. So they're very much down there. But I am more looking at Yokohama and Shonen at the moment. And it is just who can find that spark. Can Desiro be that spark? Uh, he's a player that I think has always done pretty well in J2 but never been able to make that step up and yeah I don't think he's played an awful lot of football at Shimizu this season obviously they have a million and one strikers at um, Shimizu so he's not necessarily had that game time but do you think he's suited to the way that Shonan play or do you think they might need to change themselves just either with a new manager and a new approach or just uh, yeah, just a complete wholesale change rather than just one striker coming in to fit the system. The interesting thing is that, well, as you mentioned, Desaro, because he made his name as, as Machino's partner in crime for, for Giran's Kitakushu. Mm. So they, those two players complemented each other very well. So they're absolutely not not the same player. And yeah, because Machino is quite quite a big physical player who's able to hold it up, whereas Desaro more likely to, to drop deep or link up the play. So whereas Desaro is Machino clearly made the better career choice going to Shonam who was going to play versus as you say, Desaro went to Shimizu where he got stuck by Lottina in, in central midfield and then not not really played a whole lot uh, outside of that. Is yeah, it kind of fits into I think they had Ohashi and Abe up front in this game, which didn't really work. I still think like young Akito Suzuki is more of a kind of big physical player, or I think Keita Yamashita got injured. That, that kind of player is maybe someone that they might still look to add. I think Desaro can, can add something in terms of his movement, his passion, his, his eye for goal. But he, he's absolutely not, he should not be considered a, a direct in terms of stylistic replacement for Machino, even if he may be able to somewhat replicate his, his goal scoring. 
Yeah, yeah, it's going to be really it's such a void um, to fill, especially Machinez, but also at Yokohama FC with uh, Koki Ogawa, you mentioned they struggle to score goals. They are, uh, yeah, they're definitely the lowest scorers in the league with only 15 goals in 21 games. And you know a lot more about J2 than I do, and I imagine that's where Yokohama FC would be shopping if they are to look for a replacement. Is there anybody that you could, um, I'm sorry to put you on the spot here, is there any... But is there anyone that you could think that Yokohama might look at in J2, like a Desaro that Sharon have done, really to try and just get some of those goals back that Ogawa's going to miss? They're going to miss with Ogawa going. I mean, the the one name that leaps out, I've, I've not thought about this in detail. There's there's Ryo Watanabe at Fujiedamai FC, but he scored 13 goals already for a very unfancied team. But I mean, he does have a bit of a meandering career in J3 ahead of that, and he sort of runs the risk of you know if you if you sign players off the back of a a bit a good World Cup or a good Euros, but they're actually consistently not that good. There is that worry, but if you're into kind of roll of the dice territory, he he might be someone that they they, they could look at. And um, otherwise, I know he's got injured. There's a couple of Thiago Alveses. There's one at Montevideo Yamagata. I think he's actually injured at the moment, though. I mean, he might be be someone. I I I, I remember seeing a rumor about the, the Jeff forward at Hiro Komori going to to Kawasaki Frontale which makes a little bit more sense now that Dudu's going into mm. Jeff. But, I mean, he, he's only just, again, he's only six months into his professional career. So I, there's no one that immediately springs to, to mind. Like, I mean, you've got Juan Delgado, but, you know, it's, he's probably, probably getting more money in Nagasaki or he's quite comfortable down there. And, I mean, Koki Ogawa, you, you mentioned, but he only scored three goals from open play. So it's not even a case of, like, if they got in someone a bit more clinical, that there is the kind of, overall chance creation factor as well and the players around them you know get Shoito playing as a kind of inside forward or Yamashita there it's like are any of these players really bona fide J1 players so I'm sure Yokohama FC will sign someone and I'm sure that they'll bring in you know, a new attacker they may even you know the last thing they brought in sort of Brazilians I'd never heard of before in the summer transfer window but yeah small margins yeah if, if if they can get someone that even gets you know four or five goals in the last kind of thirteen games, that that could be the distance, the, the difference. They just have to avoid 18th, and then a couple of new teams will come in, and it becomes a bit easier to avoid relegation in in future. But yeah, as I said previously, it's squeaky bum time down down the bottom of the J1. Oh, for sure. And yeah, I remember that that's that summer where Yokohama decided to splash out on Brazilians. They were almost, pretty much already relegated at the time, but I like the ambition. It didn't really work. But yeah, if there is a time to go for that with only one relegation place, it is this season. So maybe Yokohama can uh, try that again and just throw money at Brazilians and hope one of them lands and does a, as Salomonero did for a bit uh, of, that, of that season. But yeah, it's going to be fascinating down there. I can't call it. I'm not going to be the one to try and pin you down to, to say who's <laughs> going to go down. So we'll move away from the relegation zone and to our final game, the one I set through at, on Saturday as I wasn't <laughs> getting up at 5am. I did set my alarm for 4.55 and was asleep before kickoff. So sorry about that. But <laughs> it was the uh, last game that's going to be played at Sabetsu Park Stadium for a few years at least. And I think everybody is very happy about that. It's, the conditions <laughs> looked horrendous. They always seem to be windy and rainy every time I see a game at Sabetsu. And uh, yeah, it was the case here and it just didn't work out for Sapporo. I think I've got quite a poor record at this ground and they lost uh, 1-0 here to Alvarex Nigato who took the lead early in the second half Koji Suzuki converting from close range after a Fujiwara cross 
bit of dogs though in this game. Nato Arai bringing down Kanako. He was sent off. I don't think there's any real complaint about this one. Definite red card, but over half an hour Sapporo had against this this 10 men and they just couldn't find a way past Kojima. Very few chances, I think. that Yeah, it wasn't a very Sapporo-esque performance, really. They really did struggle and they've now dropped into the bottom half after no win at least five games. So it's just been, yeah, really poor run of form. And uh, probably uh, besides the result here, the biggest news around these two clubs is maybe the departure or potential departure as it is in the moment of Takaro Kanako linked with uh, Dinamo Zagreb. Um, what would you make of that move? And yeah, fully deserved, wouldn't it be? Yes, it's quite interesting. Uh, no, no surprise Kanako been linked to, I think he was linked to Uruguay, he was even linked to, to Gamba and then a few clubs overseas. A move to Dino Zagreb would be, be very interesting. I, I mean, I, I can't, uh, no one's really expecting me to be an expert on the, the Croatian league. I can't really say what the standard is, but as we've seen with other players, you know, like, like Morita or, or Yuki Soma or the players have gone to St. Trieden, you know, going to a sort of secondary European league is often a, a stepping stone to, to much b- bigger things. I mean, what, one interesting thing to consider with, with Canico and, and Sapporo in general is a a conversation I was having with a couple of Gamba fans the other week about Musashi Suzuki. And I know he, he left Sapporo and went overseas and came back to Gamba as, as Anderson Lopez did. But I mean, Sapporo don't generally do a lot of business with, with other J1 teams. But, you know, a lot of the players that, that leave Sapporo don't, don't exactly set the header on fire. You know, like Takamine or you get Kim, Kim Min-tae, Chanatip, uh, Su- uh, not Suga, Shindo at, at Cerezo. You can make a case for, for Shirai who's going to FC Tokyo, but he went down to J2 first and didn't really get a game at Kyoto at, at first. So, And you also have on the other side of the coin of people like Asano or Aoki, who, who really clicks for in, in Sapporo. So I think it's very difficult to use how well or otherwise someone played for Sapporo as an indicator of how well they'll do at another club, domestically or, or international. I mean, I've been a big fan of, of Kaneko since he, he came into the league and I think you know the, the two domestic teams he was linked with Urawa and Gamba, both very different, and he wouldn't be playing as a as a wing back. I mean, ironically, he'd probably be playing further forward nominally, but given more defensive responsibilities than the wing back is at Sapporo. But yeah, I think you know if you imagine if he went to Urawa, he probably wouldn't fit in right away as a transition over from Gamba. So I wouldn't necessarily judge him right away if he went to Dinamo Zagreb or another European club. He may struggle initially before before coming good, but yeah. He'd been one of my favourites for the last kind of three or four years, so it would be a well, well, well deserved move. But what would you say about about that, Sam? Yeah, I think it's a really good point that you make. Just the transition to and from Sapporo with the way that Misha Petrovic sets up his teams, it's unlike pretty much anyone else's tactics. He's nominally a wing backer. Uh, Sapporo, and I don't think he would fit in as a wing back <laughs> in any other club. And it's kind of got parallels, I think, to when Takahiro Sekine left um, Pit Petrovic's Reds and went to Ingolstadt, and then just couldn't find what position he was. What is he a right back? Is he a right winger? He doesn't really fit into either of those roles because he just played in that um, Petrovic system, perfect for that system, but maybe not for anything else. And yeah, it's interesting to see where Kanako would. Fit. And he's also played in an attacking midfield role, so there are various options that he could get into, and he's clearly versatile, so hopefully it works out for him. I think Zagreb is an, an interesting move. I, I have it in my head that Dinamo Zagreb are basically a Croatian Celtic, in that they are a very, very good team within their league, which maybe if you go further down the league, there's not necessarily that much quality but the Dinamo Zagreb are a good team they generally uh, perform in Europe and it'll definitely get them um, opportunities there so it's an, an exciting move but yeah it's very difficult to 
leave Misha Petrovic and then fit in <laughs> elsewhere. So it might be a tough learning curve for him, but certainly he's been uh, magnificent for for Sapporo. It's going to be a big loss for them. At least they've got Lucas Fernandez can move over to that right side. Suga can go back to the left back position. So as big a uh, player as he's been for them, it's very they can probably cover it fairly well. But yeah, it's going to be yeah fascinating to see how well. He does. So, yeah, that's it for every game this week. And uh, next week, I won't ask you for your game of the week because there's only <laughs> one. <laughs> so, uh, Vissel Kobe taking on Kawasaki Frontale, a rearrange, rearranged game from, I think it was match day 16, where there was um, a typhoon that caused that game to be postponed. So, that's the only game in the league. There are a few friendlies around with European clubs coming over. Celtic, Bayern Munich are over. Man City, I think, are over as well. So, yeah, um well, what's happening, Johnny? I'm going, Ben's not here. What's going on with the JTalk podcast? Uh, can you enlighten the listeners? <laughs> well, but basically, we'll, we'll be taking a, a short break for the next couple of weeks. So, um, you, know, you mentioned that there's friendlies. There's one, there's one league game, Vissel Kobe versus Kawasaki. But then in the start of August, there'll, there'll be three three rounds of fixtures where, where both yourself and, and Ben are either injured or suspended. And I'll be, I'll be stepping into the, the, the main role. Um, basically, the, the plan at the moment is that uh, I'm going to do a, a solo pod as you know, I, I'm very, very experienced at editing um, written text, but not, not so much audio. So I think when Ben presented the idea to me, initially I thought if I could talk to this person, we talk to that person. But then the thought of editing a two hour pod is, is not I'm not going to not going to run before I can walk. So I'm, I'm going to start off doing, doing a bit of a solo pod, which may or may not be kind of incorporated in with the with the J2 and, and J3 pods. And then if I'm feeling a bit more confident, I may reach out to perhaps a, a club specific correspondent or or maybe maybe someone who'd normally be on like for the whole episode with yourself and Ben, but might we might talk about something in specific. So yeah, I'm feeling a bit nervous, but but thank you all in advance for your, for your support. I know I've spoke to, to John and Mike have been very helpful so far. I haven't spoke to James yet, but I'll, I'm sure I'll be annoying him soon about something. And, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to my 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 full debut in, in Ben's Ben's hot seat. Oh, great. Um, well, thank you for both of us for stepping into the breach and guiding the good ship JTO through stormy waters. But I'm sure you'll be fantastic. And just remember, there is a limit. You have to have at least one hour and a half per podcast. So I hope you're ready to really dive into all of these games. But yes, um, that's it for this week's episode of the JTalk podcast. And my final time as a permanent co-host. Just thanks again to everyone for their support over the past three and a half years. Uh, Johnny will be back in a couple of weeks' time, so look forward to that. And we would both like to thank our patrons for their continued support. If you want to get involved, head over to patreon.com forward slash jtalkpod. Thank you to everybody for listening. Johnny will speak to you soon. Bye for now. The JTalk Podcast. Yes, 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 yes.